Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we're going to look at the readings for the second Sunday in Lent. And if you'd like to hear all the readings, you can do so by listening to the reading podcast that was dropped previous to this episode. So we've had Ash Wednesday. We've had one Sunday of Lent. We're working on repenting. We're working on fasting. We're working on recognizing our sins. We're recognizing. We're working on recognizing who we are in our sinfulness, knowing that we have salvation. And, and Lent is this really interesting thing that we absolutely need to be talking about Christ, forgiveness, love, mercy, repentance, heaven, paradise but it at the same time is muted. And it's almost hard to say that Christ isn't the center. It's our sins. It's death. It's all the things that lead Jesus to the cross. And and that's not right. It's one of those where um, you want to be contemplative and and reflective, and there's a bit of sorrow involved because you're examining your sin. A lot. Um, but it's also this this weird time where we we also know the end of this story. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're kind of living in between, um, truly a, a now and not yet type of deal, where we're still living on this side mm-hmm. of uh, of Jesus' return, but we also have to recognize our sinful condition, um, and deal with that, look to Jesus as the only one who can deal with that. Right. Um, but it is a little odd sometimes not to jump the gun and and just go right to the the Easter um, yeah. celebration that we know we're awaiting. Well, let let me pick on you a little bit before we get into the text itself. I I know you're preaching on this text, but how are you dealing with the tension of not jumping the gun to talk about the Easter proclamation every sermon, which we've been taught to do, where we've been taught to deliver Christ, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and not that you've been told not to do that, but how do you mute that without covering up Christ? Well, that's the million-dollar yeah, question. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm um, with you. It, it's a tough balance, um, especially as I'm, I'm kind of playing some ideas out here for this sermon in particular, um, because you, you you don't want to um, discount what the season of Lent is all about, right. uh, but you also have to live in the the reality that you know we do know Jesus mm-hmm. came here to die. Um, that that's the sad truth, but it's also a, a joyous truth for us because he came here to die for us. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a tricky balancing act is what I'm finding now, um, and uh, I'll let you know more as I get this <laughs> sermon written uh, fully. Well, no, and I, I appreciate that because there, there's a lot of tension because it is easy to preach Christ crucified and covering all the sins, but then it does minimize the magnitude of Lent, and now it's your... You're a sinful, damnable person. But Jesus loves you, and he died for you, and let's talk about Easter. Right. And that's and, not what Lent's about. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of running into the stumbling block of you don't want to just um, 
give the season of Lent kind of lip service. Right, and, yeah. Uh, I want to be doom and gloom uh, as the preacher because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Um, there's kind of a, a targeted uh, focus here to try to help people um, kind of conduct some of that self-examination and uh, and that reflective state that goes on during the season of Lent. Well, and I think that really is a good segue to the actual gospel lesson, which is uh, St. Luke 13, 31 through 35. And at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I finish my course. And then he'll go on to talk about that he's going to go to Jerusalem, the place that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. So we really do have some doom and gloom. Jesus is not the, the, the joy of the party in this sense. He, he's really talking about his death. And I'm curious if he's really even addressing the Pharisees. You know, and we were talking before we pushed record. We we don't know if the Pharisees are, hey Jesus, we want you to stay around a little bit longer. Herod's out for you. You you, you got to get away from here, or is it, you know, they're using Herod as a threat, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they're, hey, we got it in with Herod, and he's coming after you, and if you're not nice to us, we'll let him know where you are. You might want to go. And that in itself is not, um, if that were the case. So those are typically the two ways you kind of look at this. Um, Are they trying to be buddy-buddy? They're they're kind of secretly intrigued with Jesus, Mm -hmm. maybe kind of following him and truly warning him. Um, or uh, are they kind of sent here to get rid of Jesus, yeah. uh, either sent by Herod or maybe they take it upon themselves because Jesus is stirring the pot too much. Um, he's causing some trouble now that he's gained more attention, and they're just trying to to get rid of him. Um, if it's a threat, it's certainly not an empty one. No. Because we see Herod, uh, and this is the same Herod, that um, John the Baptist uh, it calls out, because of his sin. Uh, you remember Herod mm-hmm. took his brother's uh, wife to be his own wife. Herodias. And, and yep, Herodias, because names aren't confusing enough in the Bible. <laughs> Herod and Herodias. Um, he takes his brother's wife uh, as his own, and John the Baptist says, not cool, you shouldn't do that. And In public, and, so <laughs> yeah. everybody knows. Uh, and for his trouble, we see John imprisoned and later beheaded. So if this is a threat coming, uh, kind of invoking yeah. or maybe even directly, uh, well, indirectly from Herod through the right. Pharisees, I wouldn't say it's an empty threat. No, not at all. But it's interesting how Jesus responded to that. Yeah, I, I appreciate it because it's, okay, go tell that fox, I've been doing all this stuff today, tomorrow, and I'm going to continue to do it all the way up to Jerusalem. And uh, this is the his lament for Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. A huge statement for Jesus. He is going to the holy city. He's going to his city, mm-hmm. the place that the prophets have gone to and been killed, the place where his word is to be preached and ignored. And he is promising to go there, knowing full well that he's going to die and he's going to 
die at the hands of the very people he's been sent to save, his people. Uh, we hear this in the, the first chapter of uh, St. John. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, did not know him. And that just is a huge statement. So this is a true lament. Jesus is pointing out that I have come to bring you into the safety of my wings. I've come to bring you in my presence and you run away. You say no. Uh, you would not. And I think this is huge. And I also think we need to be really careful. Uh, we know the whole story, again, going back to the whole Easter proclamation. We know Jesus dies and rises again. But how easy it is to look at Jerusalem and say, come on, guys, don't you know who's coming? Why would you do this? And they have a lot of history behind them. And Jesus, if Herod's threats are not empty, Jesus' statement doesn't have historical, uh, has historical backing. And the simple fact that our Old Testament lesson, we have uh, the prophet Jeremiah who is preaching what God has told him to preach. And of course, it's repent. And he's gone to the people of Israel, repent, God says so, God's not happy with you. And uh, truly, if you read uh, the Bible, if the prophet shows up, it's probably not to tell you you're doing a good job. <laughs> so the prophet shows up, the Jeremiah prophet, and he prophesies against the house and the city um, and all the, the words that they have heard. And they simply say, stop, or where do I kill you? And Jeremiah, boldly in the work of God, he simply says, um, but as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants for the truth. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. And again, that's that's a huge, huge statement because these are the very same people years and years and years and years and years and years later, but these are still God's people. And you, you see the, the care uh, that God demonstrates for his people. Uh, I mean, sending Jeremiah to begin with to yeah. call them to repentance, uh, that's, that's a gracious act on behalf of God. Uh, and then the people reject Jeremiah. Uh, they're trying to figure out what to do with him. I mean, in, in our Old Testament lesson, he's really on trial here right. um, because he has spoken destruction against the city because of their sinful living. They still reject him. Uh, but even in there, it's interesting that um, Jeremiah calls them to mend their ways and their deeds. Uh, and if they do, the Lord will relent. Yeah. Uh, and, and that kind of just perfectly sums up um, God really throughout throughout the Old Testament, especially where you have the the people of Israel who are God's chosen people. Um, they fall, they trip in their sin, and a then, lot, a lot, uh, and, and God eventually, in different capacities, forgives them, mm -hmm. and they move on. And here, even as Jeremiah is sent to uh, to pronounce coming destruction, to call them to repentance. Uh, there's still a way out, right. that God still is willing to relent if they just uh, repent of their sin. Um, and, and we see how that plays out in the Old Testament here, but it's an interesting snapshot that's paired in this group of readings.
Well, and just like uh, Jesus says, and you would not. And here's your chance. Repent, and you will not. And again, it's our human nature to reject, our human nature not to listen, our human nature to rebel against the gifts that God has given in Christ our Lord. And and again, like I said, we need to be careful with Jerusalem because it's easy to throw them under the bus. Don't you know who's there? Haven't you seen? Haven't you heard? And it's hard for us because just think for a moment. If you knew that you witnessed a bona fide miracle, an act of God, something supernatural, beyond explanation, knowing that God interrupted your life for, for whatever reason, what would that do to your faith? How secure would you be in, in the promises of everything and holding on to that? And it's so hard because that's exactly what Jesus did in the life of Jerusalem, the life of his people, and they still said no. Mm -hmm. They still would not let themselves be gathered as God's people. And I, uh, to throw this out too, I'm also very curious at how much of the direction of the Pharisees. And this again goes back to, you know, are the good Pharisees bad Pharisees? Are they hapless Pharisees? You know, I don't know. Um, and I'm always interested in that. How much did the Pharisees push on that? Um, and then this other statement, and I believe this is directly to the Pharisees that Jesus is talking. This is verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's huge. And I'm wrestling with this. I really don't know where to go with that because I, I, I like the idea that Jesus is saying, this is actually the house that you have built and I'm walking into it and I'm going to pretty much destroy it because it's built on sand. It's not built on the confession, the rock of faith in Christ. And you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I don't think that's, uh, you know, Jesus saying, hey, here's the words you say, and you too will have heaven. Here, here's the, the secret prayer I'm not telling anybody. I really think this is a bigger thing. When you see and hear this, when every knee shall bow and bend, I think he's talking about the resurrection, when everybody sees Christ for the full glory of who he is. I don't know how far I can go with that, though. I don't, I don't know if I have a leg to stand on. You went real big picture on that. Yeah, I, <laughs> really quick. So typically, uh, and that's quoting Psalm 118 there, yep. blessed is he who comes. Uh, and this is the saying that the people of Jerusalem would say uh, to those who were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Um, and, and we see that this is actually said, um, you know, you fast forward a few uh, a few chapters in Luke, and you get to Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. And what do we have them singing on Palm Sunday? But this verse. Right. Um, so there's there's a meaning there. And then, as you said, uh, this bigger, grander meaning, um, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, well, we know there is one who is the Lord, and he is going to come uh, on the final day, and all will have to 
give an account uh, to him. So big, big picture stuff there. Right. And yeah, I, I don't want to diminish the, the triumphal entry because I also like the simple fact that uh, Jesus is promising, um, yeah, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving to fulfill my mission, my job, and you'll see me, and this is the confession that you'll hear. And I, again, I, I wrestle with when you say, because I don't think the Pharisees are among the crowd for the triumphal entry. And so, no, I, I think that's an interesting interesting thing. And the bigness of Jesus, and I like the idea that he, he's not disturbed about this threat, empty or, um, you know, the Pharisees being good cop, bad cop, whatever. He says, I've come to do this. And then kind of almost turns to Jerusalem. I've come for you. Listen, hear, and be with me. And, and they would not. And he's even calling out that uh, exactly what you said, that they have rejected him. Yeah. Um, and that's the, the big shift there in 35. Behold, your house is forsaken. Well, whose house was this before? It was God's house. Right. Um, but now uh, we see that it has shifted. It's a house of uh, man-made laws and traditions. Uh, and God's, God's presence has gone away from that place. Uh, and, and we know that's going to be fulfilled in Jesus um, you think of his death and the the curtain in the temple is mm-hmm. torn, uh, giving us access to God the Father. But but it shows the consequence of uh, not repenting, um, staying in your sin, rejecting Jesus, um, that they are now uh, in their own house. They are now outcast, outside of God's people, and it's because of this constant rejection of him. Well, let me throw this in there, too, uh, the epistle lesson, uh, Philippians uh, 3. And you have uh, verse 19, uh, St. Paul says, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I like this, and I'm going to put this on the Pharisees, and this is not to throw every Pharisee under the bus. It's low-hanging fruit to uh, to attack the, the Pharisees. I'm not really sure where to put them in all of this because they're doing what they have been taught to do. Um, I don't think that they're evil by nature. I don't think they're looking to mislead God's people and so on and so forth. What they're doing is what they've been taught, and it is in opposition to what Jesus promises. They're all about law. They're all about self-righteousness. If I do enough good stuff, then I too will appease God and uh, I might make it. And Jesus really turns that on its head. But when we start looking at our own works, when we start looking at the things we're doing, we also start looking at the material things of the world. And I've always appreciated that that statement, their God is their belly. Hunger, the want for food, that becomes the all-empowering motivation to do what you want to do. And again, that is an easy thing because when you get hungry, how hard is it to think about anything else? Of course you want food. But then who's your God even in that? And to put this in with the Pharisees, especially with the the house uh, imagery, their end is destruction. They have brought this upon themselves. They have brought in false God, false uh, practice, self-righteousness, all about me, all about I. And then on top of that, in this statement, and they glory in their shame. I have God's law, and I am doing it, and I am fulfilling it. That is truly saying, I glory in missing you, Jesus. I glory in rejecting you because I have 
the law and I'm good enough. And then the last statement, you know, with minds set on earthly things, that's easy. It's it's what we do by nature. This is why um, it, it's pretty easy to see this as the, the group of people yep. that Paul calls here the enemies of the cross of Christ. Yep. Um, because when, when we're living for ourselves, uh, especially as, as you kind of painted it in the Pharisee, the Pharisaical context here of people who think they can save themselves based on their works, their merits, uh, well, then you are an enemy of the cross of Christ because you have no need for it. Right. Um, you're going to take care of your <laughs> your justification, your salvation, your forgiveness on your own, uh, thereby you know, negating any need for a Savior and truly living as the enemies of Christ the cross of Christ. So the first commandment implications there are really, really big. Yeah. Uh, and I like how, <laughs> unfortunately for them, I like how you tied the Pharisees in with that because it's very fitting to see um, that these are the people who are glorying in their own works um, mm -hmm. and not ashamed of things that may be going against God's word because they've been convinced by uh, themselves or the people around them, that what they're yeah. doing is actually good. So it kind of reminds me of the Old Testament, um, you know, they'll call good evil and right. evil good, uh, this this flip-flop, this reversal of um, what is good and evil, this idea of, of being an enemy of the cross of Christ kind of brings all of that into account. Well, and the author of the, the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, is St. Paul who was an enemy of the cross, actively seeking to persecute the church and the followers of the way. And, and I love how he starts it off. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And he's pointing to the cross. He's pointing to the place of salvation. He's pointing to the place of peace, mercy, and the true conversion of the, the sinfulness and that you no longer have to glory in your shame. You actually get to glory in God's glory because he has put it upon you. And I love that because, yeah, we can pick on the Pharisees. Paul was a Pharisee and truly saw the light, struck him down. And seeing Christ, there is the true way, the true life, the true promise given for us. So I love that the implications that St. Paul points out that, and I think it's great to be uh, for the season of Lent, to be an imitator of St. Paul as he looks to Christ, who takes upon your sin and your death all the way to the cross. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.